Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Allow me to read this passage. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus, and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. And the number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. We're seeing that evil is now being overcome. We're looking here at this passage that deals primarily with Satan, the beast, the Antichrist, and as well as the false prophet are already been cast into the uh, lake of fire, which is hell. There is no escape. There is no exit. Once you're thrown in, it is forever and ever a time of torment. And so now we look, we see that after Jesus had slayed all those who stood against him with the sword of his mouth that we call the Battle of Armageddon, he uses the sword of his mouth, which is the word of God, and they are slain. And now there's still some, I guess, house cleaning to do. So again, last week we dealt with the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, both being cast into the lake of fire. And here's the scripture that talks about that. Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet, who performed the signs of his presence, in which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. So the lake of fire is literally hell. It is a place of eternal punishment for all those who rejected Jesus. So now we must deal with Satan himself. In verses 1 through 3, 
Satan is cast into the abyss. And we must understand that the abyss is different than the lake of fire. The abyss is a type of prison. And once you're in there, you cannot escape unless someone opens the door for you. And that's what has taken place at least twice in the book of Revelation. So here we see an angel came down from heaven. We're not told who this angel is. Many have speculated that it's Michael because Michael was the one who led the angels of God to cast Satan uh, as well as his demonic angels out of heaven. But it's not his name is not mentioned, so all we could do is speculate. But whoever this angel is, he is given a key and a great chain. The key is to the, the abyss, the bottomless pit. And the key represents that this abyss can only be open when God permits it because it is God who gives whoever the key that will open or close the abyss. Earlier, a fallen angel, a demonic angel, was given the key to the bottomless pit, pit the abyss. We see that back in Revelation chapter 9, verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven, which had fallen to the earth, and the key to the bottomless pit was given to him. Now there... Uh, we see that this, this fallen angel was given the key to the bottomless pit for one reason. That was to open up this bottomless pit, the abyss, and to release demonic forces that would create havoc upon the earth. But the access to the abyss can only be given by God and only for his specific purposes. This time the angel binds Satan with a great chain. This depicts that Satan is now in bondage and he cannot escape unless he is released. And so to fully identify this one being bound, we see four names that are given to him. The first one is the dragon. Earlier in Revelation, we saw the, the great red dragon, and this depicts Satan. We're seeing him as this evil force during the time of tribulation. And then we also see him described as the serpent of old. So in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, we see him as the dragon. All the way back to the first book of the Bible in Genesis, we see him as the serpent of old, the serpent of the Garden of Eden. We also see him identified as the devil. And this describes him as a slanderer who accuses the saints of God before the Lord. We see this primarily in the book of Job when Satan uh, accused Job of blessing God, uh, being blessed by God, and the only reason why he praised God was because he was receiving the blessings of God. And so the devil is a slanderer who, who will always try to bring accusations against us before God. And then the last one is the proper term, Satan, his proper name, I guess. And he, this name means an adversary, and he is the one who has always opposed God and Jesus and all the believers throughout history. So this angel, whoever his name may be, laid hold of Satan, binding him with a great chain and putting him in the abyss, the bottomless pit, and he sealed it. And the key is the only power to open the abyss, and only God can give the authority to open it. And what we find out in verse 3 is that there's a time that Satan will be bound in this abyss. Verse 3 says, And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. So Satan will be bound in this abyss for a thousand years.
Now, if, if Satan has read the scriptures, he knows that after a thousand years, he will be released. And so can you imagine the furious nature of Satan and how it built as to what his plans would be to try to overthrow God once again uh, after a thousand years of fuming and plotting of what he might do. So we struggle with why God would allow Satan out. Why didn't he just throw him into the lake of fire and be done with him? But we're going to see a reason for this thousand years in just a little while. But before we do, let's look at the saints reigning with Christ. Verse 4 says, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, of those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark of their for, on their forehead or on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And so we do see the saints reigning with Christ. Now, who it begins with they, and then later it describes uh, those who died a martyr's death during the tribulation. But who are they? Well, if we go back to Revelation chapter 19, verse 14, it says, And the army, armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. So we, last week, we determined that those who are coming with Jesus out of the heaven are those who uh, were followers of Christ. In the Old Testament, they would be the ones who place their faith in their belief in God and his promised Messiah. Uh, the Bible tells us about Abraham, that, that Abraham believed God and was counted unto him as righteousness. And that would hold true for all the Old Testament saints who believe God. Now, in the New Testament, when Jesus comes, we know that those who place their faith in him as the Messiah, the Savior, would also be part of these saints. We know that this continues all the way up to what we call the, the rapture that we believe took place, will take place right before the tribulation begins. And so from basically the beginning until the time of the rapture, all those who place their faith and their belief in God and Jesus Christ are the saints. We know that they are the ones who come with Jesus on the white horses, so they would be some of these who would sit on these thrones. But there's also those who died during the tribulation after the rapture, and they're described in this verse as well. They are those who were beheaded because of their faith in Jesus. They would not take the mark of the beast. They would not worship the beast or an image of the beast. And so they were beheaded. They were executed. And so they too will reign with Jesus. Now, if you remember, last week we dealt with what we call the Battle of Armageddon, and Jesus was came on a white horse, and then all of his saints also came on white horses. Now, Jesus was the only one who actually fought in that battle. And basically what he did is he slew his enemy with a sword from his mouth, the word of God. All the saints were basically spectators. Even though they rode white horses just as well, they were spectators, and they were just part of being able to see the victory that their Savior did. I believe this will be very similar, that even though there are thrones, just like there are white horses, 
Jesus will sit on his throne with God the Father, and that all the saints will sit on other thrones, but everything will truly revolve around Jesus. We'll basically be there. We'll be, it's said that we will have authority to reign and to judge, but Jesus is the ultimate judge. He's the ultimate authority, and we will simply be there as witnesses of what is taking place. So we look and we see that we, the saints, will reign with him. The saints are from the Old Testament saints through the New Testament saints all the way up to the time of the rapture, as well as those who, who were martyred, died, uh, persecution, death during the tribulation. And so we see that we have these who are witnesses of God sending his son back to earth to judge the people and it tells us that we are a part of the first resurrection. Look at verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. So the first resurrection are those saints of God who have come back to earth, but they didn't come back in their earthly bodies. Their earthly bodies had decayed. They've been executed. Their heads were chopped off. So we are have received our resurrected bodies, the perfected bodies, to, that we can be in the very presence of God. And so that is the first resurrection, the resurrection of the saints of God. Now these will be together reigning with Christ for a thousand years. But what does it mean about the rest of the dead? They did not come to life in, until the thousand years were complete. So after the first resurrection, these saints the dead in their sins, not the dead in Christ, but the dead in their sins remained. Where are they are? Well, next week we'll get into what Hades is and the descriptions there, but right now they will not receive a resurrected body. They will still be dead in their sins. And so uh, they will not be raised, but they will have a second resurrection but that will take place after the thousand years, and then they will be judged, and they will receive their eternal judgment. So, notice what verse 6 tells us about the saints who are with Jesus. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over those, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and will reign with him for a thousand years. So we look and we see that God has counted us as holy and blessed. Holy because we have our perfected bodies. We are full in Christ. We're blessed because we are now with Jesus, our Savior, uh, enjoying his reign over all the earth. And we will do so for a thousand years. Now we look at this and really the simple way to look at this is you're either going to be born twice and die once or born once and die twice for a child of god we've been born twice we we're born physically and we we're born spiritually what the bible calls the the second birth or to be born again and so if we have been born twice physically and spiritually we will only die once a physical death but if we only are born once the physical birth and we do not have that second birth the spiritual birth the being born again, then we will die twice. We will die physically 
and then we will die spiritually for all of eternity. So we look at this and that uh, eternal is a eternal separation from God and we will get into the punishments next week. Part of the reward for the saints is that they will be priests, pure and holy, and will be fit to reign with Jesus for the thousand years. Yes, those who receive the first resurrection will live a thousand years, for death will have no power. And so now we look at what happens after this thousand years. Verses 7 and 8 tell us, When the thousand years are complete, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. Now, let's be honest. We struggle with understanding why did God put this thousand-year millennial reign of Christ physically on earth with his glorified saints only for this to take place. Wasn't the battle of Armageddon the end? Didn't it get rid of all the evil and destruction? Wasn't that the cleansing of the earth? Well, unfortunately, it was not all. Now, we do understand that Satan, according to the scriptures here, he will be bound for a thousand years. And after a thousand years, he will be released. He will be released to plot his revenge. And what he will do, he will go out into the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, which are basically uh, symbolisms of those who stand against God. And he will gather a vast army to make war against the saints and Jesus. Now it says here that the number of this army is numerous, more numerous than the sand of the seashore. So where did these people come from? Well, Satan has been bound. He had no influence over all the earth for 1,000 years. So where did these evil forces come from? Well, been toying with you back and forth through these weeks. Would there be any who were faithful to Jesus who did not take the mark of the beast, who did not bow down before the beast, would there be any that would survive the tribulation? I believe that this lends our study and our understanding to saying, yes, there would be some. Because we look and we see that those who are have received their resurrection are now in resurrected bodies, and they will not marry or be given into marriage Matthew chapter 22, verse 30 says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And so they will live a thousand years, but they will not reproduce, they will not be married, they will not be given in marriage. They, According to this, it says they are like angels in heaven. And so where does this vast number of people come from that are against God? There's really only one explanation. There are still humans still living on the earth that have not died and that are they're faithful to the Lord Jesus. Otherwise, they would have been destroyed. But over a thousand years, can you imagine? They are still flesh and blood. They will still marry and be given into marriage. They will still have children. Can you imagine the population explosion of those who will live a thousand years, maybe, maybe not, we don't know that for sure, but over a thousand years, those who were alive then, for a thousand years, they and their 
families will produce, reproduce, and there's no telling what kind of population explosion there will be. Now, for those who survived the tribulation, they did not bow down to the beast. They did not take his mark on their forehead or on their hand. What we do know is that they were born with a sin nature, just like you and I. And so with that sin nature, their children will be born with a sin nature. And just like today, you may have godly parents who teach their children all about Jesus and his saving grace. They teach them all about the love of Christ. They're exposed to the gospel. Just like today, not all will accept the gospel. Not all will, will surrender to the Lordship of Christ. There will be those who will reject anyone who would have control over them. And so they will reject the, the Lordship of Christ. They will not allow any other to have influence or control over their lives. And so there will be, unfortunately, those who will be born during that time who will not accept Christ as Savior and Lord. And everything in the book of Revelation evolves around Jerusalem. It is God's holy city. is where the temple that is going to be rebuilt. It's where Satan will use uh, his Antichrist, the beast, to set up his throne, his reign. And that's where Jesus will come back and reign. That's where his throne will be, where he will judge. And so there's still a vast world around it. So those who reject Jesus, who refuse to allow him to be Lord over their lives, they will not want to have that type of influence close by. So I believe that they will flee from that area and they'll move further and further and further away. And so over a thousand years, they will wander the earth. They will set up more cities, nations, states, whatever, and they will be vast and they'll be vast but lost. And so after a thousand years, when Satan is released, he will go to the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, which are basically just representing those who stand against God, and he will gather them into a vast army, the numbers of which are greater than the sands of the seashore. And he will come and he will wage war, or at least he thinks he will. He will fill the, the, the vast area, the plains, all around Jerusalem and surround the people of God. And his thought is he is vastly outnumbering the others and he will be victorious. But verse 9 is probably one of the most anti-climatic uh, uh, verses of all. First, two-thirds of the verse says, and they, these are the demonic uh, lost people that Satan has gathered, and they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. So Satan, with these myriads of people who stand against God, has surrounded the great city. They've surrounded the saints. And so we're ready for another battle of Armageddon. We're ready for Jesus to go out and slay them again with all of the saints on their white horses. But that's not what happened. The last third of this one verse is what takes place. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. That's it. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. That's the end. In one third of one verse, God sends fire down and devours them. No battle of Armageddon. 
No Jesus riding on his white horse with the word of God, the, the sword of his mouth coming out. None of that. God basically deals with this group that's been brewing for a thousand years in a third of a sentence. He brings fire down just like he did in Saul of Gomorrah, but he didn't even give a threat, didn't even give a warning. He just did it. Very brief. He says, fire came down from heaven and devoured them. That's the end of all evil. So we look and we see that after a thousand years, God takes care of everything. Now here is the very end of evil. Verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now remember, Satan at first was thrown into the abyss, the bottomless pit. Now he's being thrown into the lake of fire. Those two are totally different. The abyss, the bottomless pit, is more of a sealed prison. And it can be open, but only under God's authority. But the lake of fire, there is never any exit. Once anyone or any being is cast into the lake of fire, it is forever and ever. And they will be tormented day and night. That is the literal hell. And so we look and we see that God took care of everything. He sent fire from heaven and devoured the enemy. He takes Satan and he throws him into the lake of fire in brimstone. And there he will join the beast and the false prophet. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So right now, those are the only three in hell. Those, those are the only three in the lake of fire. And we'll see what happens next week. So here's really the application. If there is one message we consistently understand as we study the book of Revelation, is that there will be a day of judgment and all who are without Christ will face eternal judgment. And really this thousand years is a proof for us to understand something. We like to blame Satan for all of our evil, for all of our stupidity, for all the things we do against God, all of our sins. We like to blame Satan. But the truth is, Satan is not always to blame. See, we from the day of Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden, forever, throughout history, Man is born in sin. We are born with a sin nature. And with that sin nature, we are going to sin. How many of you have ever taught your child to disobey or to lie? You don't have to teach that. It's natural. It is part of our sin nature. And it's still a part of our sin nature even as children of God. We still struggle because we have this inner sin nature. And so this thousand years is to help us understand we can't blame Satan for everything that we do against God. It is in our heart and it's in our mind to do because we have a sin nature. And that is the same for all mankind. So how do we reach out to the lost in our world? Well, we relate to them. We don't beat them over the head with the Bible and tell them they need to get right with God. 
we simply say, you know, we both have a problem. We both have sin in our lives. But there's an answer to that sin. His name is Jesus. And I'd like to share how Jesus overcomes the guilt and the penalty of our sin and share with them a simple gospel presentation or your own personal testimony of how God showed you his love and his grace so that you could receive his gift of salvation and eternal life. And that's what we need to be about. We can't always blame Satan for 1,000 years. He was not here on this earth to, to cause people to sin. Man sinned on his own because he was born with a sin nature, and that sin nature is prevalent in all man. So let's close with prayer. The Lord help us to understand that Satan is not the only uh, device of evil. We ourselves are because we are born with a sin nature and we will die with a sin nature even though we're your children. The only difference is that our sins have been forgiven and that you have wiped our slate clean by cleansing us from our all of our unrighteousness. So Lord help us each and every day to allow you through your Holy Spirit to guide us control our thoughts, our desires, our words, and our deeds. May Jesus be our victor, our strength to overcome the temptations that we have within to sin. And Lord, help us be found victors. Lord, also help us to see those who are lost and to be able to share with them their greatest need is salvation and surrendering to Christ as Lord. God is Lord in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.